Amen. Amen. If you're if this is your first time with us, I'm I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And if for some reason you were not able to be here last week, uh, Wade, one of our elders, came up and let everybody know that Pastor Tony would be taking the month of November off. So he'll be taking a little sabbatical and uh, essentially just spending some time getting getting some rest. We you know we're in a position in the last four years where we didn't have an associate pastor, and now. Now we're in, in a totally different season, and now we're able to proactively care for, care for our pastors. And so he's taking the month off, and he'll be seeking the Lord and, and just, you know, direction for, for our church and our fellowship and for, you know, in the year and the years to come. And so glad he's able to be able to take that time. Um, so you'll be getting to hear from some of the different pastors this, this month, and it'll be, it'll be good. And we are actually moving back into... Back in our study in 2 Corinthians, so we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you, somewhere around you, and you can, um, you can grab one of those Bibles, and that'll be on page 13, uh, 1329. And uh, so we, last month, we spent some time uh, just really talking about, um, talking about discipleship and what discipleship is according to the way in which God defines discipleship, and just kind of unpacking that. We'll be launching new D groups, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, those will be launching in, in January. And so really just kind of letting God shape our hearts and our minds as we begin a new year in, in discipleship. And uh, so we did that previously. We were working through, uh, working through the book of 2 Corinthians. Last year we worked through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we'll be picking, up, um, picking back up this study in 2 Corinthians this morning. I want to I want to talk about a couple things before we dive into uh, dive into the text. Uh, I want us to think about. Uh, I just ask the question: What is a what is a paradox? Do you know what a paradox is? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to been to Disney World, um, but if you have and you've ever ridden the Jungle Cruise, uh, it's really probably one of the worst rides there, but it's also entertaining, and uh, and, and so. Basically, it's about five or ten minutes with nothing but bad dad jokes is essentially what it is. And when you get to the end of the, the Jungle Cruise, uh, they make the statement something like, hey, you know, this is a great, great paradox. And they're like, yep, there's one on your left and one on your right. There's a, a pair of docks, you know. And so that's not what we're, is bad, but it's just like a whole ride nonstop of just really bad dad jokes. But we're not going to talk about those kind of docs. We're going to talk about what an actual paradox is. So here's, here's what a paradox is. It's a statement that seems, um, it seems contradictory. It seems self-contradictory, but in reality, it, it expresses a, a truth. And so it seems to contradict itself, but it's actually, it, it shines some light on, on some truth. And so let's, let's do this. Let's talk about a few paradoxes so we can wrap our mind around everything before we begin our discussion this morning. Okay, so here's a paradox. The more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. The more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. Now, it seems to contradict itself because if you continually fail, then it just seems like you would just continue the same pattern of, of failure. Uh, you think about, think about Michael Jordan, who was cut from, his varsity, from the varsity team and sent down to, to junior varsity. Now, we're talking about, and this was in high school, uh, but you're talking about arguably the greatest basketball player that ever lived and he got cut from his varsity basketball team so but that failure drove him 
to great success. Okay, so it, it appears that way. Think about, um, think about Steve Jobs. In the 80s, he developed a product um, that ended up costing Apple millions of dollars and eventually cost him his job. They fired him because of, you know, because of everything. Then they rehired him back in the 90s, and we all know, love or hate Apple, and I feel like it's one of the two. You either love Apple or you hate them. But you can't argue their success, and he was at the core of that success. Walt Disney, we just talked about the Jungle Cruise. Uh, Walt Disney was considered to not be creative whatsoever, and early on, a lot of his business ventures and his ideas, they've failed. But, but this is what we know. We know that success comes through improvement, and improvement, if we're honest, oftentimes comes through failure. And, and one of the things I love about this place is it's a safe place to fail. We can dream, and, and it's safe to fail, and we can learn from that. And, uh, and that's one of the great things about this place. Um, here's another one. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Now, that would seemingly, that would, it contradicts itself, right? Because the more you learn, the more knowledge you have, the more you know. But honestly, and, and if, you're, you know, if you're young in here, I love you, but you think you know way more than you know. I know because I was young at one point too, and I thought I knew so much. And the older you get, the wiser you get, the more you learn, the more you realize, I know nothing, right? And, and, but it's so true. But you would think, well, the more you learn, the more you know. And that's not, here's another one. The more available something is, the less you want it. The more available something is, the less you want it. Uh, my wife went to, uh, she went to Peter Anderson yesterday uh, before the rain. Yesterday was not a good day for Peter Anderson because it's outside and we all know how yesterday was. And hey, I'm not complaining because we need the rain. But, uh, but so she went to Peter Anderson and then, then she went over to the promenade and she went to Target. I was thinking about how early in our marriage, before Target was here on the coast, she would literally drive to Mobile all the time for the sole purpose of going to Target. And the moment that Target was in Diabraville, now she goes like once a year. Like never goes anymore. The moment it, it showed up and she had full access to it, it's all that. You know what she told me in between service? She said, it's so far. I'm like, it's so far. You would drive to Mobile and now it's 20 minutes away and it's too far for you to go to. But it's, it's funny how, you know, something's more available the less you want. Here's our last one. The only constant is change. The only constant is change. And so we, we're looking for consistency, but the only consistency is the fact that nothing's consistent. So it seems to contradict itself, but there's a, a truth in there. So you, you see where we're, we're kind of, well, the text that we're going we're gonna to be in this morning is really full of all kinds of paradoxes, okay? Uh, but so we're going we're, we're to unpack this unpack this together. But before we get to the text, what I want to do is I want us to remember some things. Because it's been a month since we've been in 2 Corinthians. I want, you to, I want you to think about what's been going on over the first um, three, first part of four chapters. Um, and here's what happened even going back into 1 Corinthians. So we studied through 1 Corinthians last year. Uh, what we see is that the, the Corinthians disregarded Paul's leaderships in a lot of ways. And the reason was because he didn't appear to be successful uh, according to the Corinthian standards. And so Paul didn't have, you know, he didn't have a lot of money. Uh, he was oftentimes homeless. He was persecuted. So he suffered greatly, which 
you know, in, in their culture, that w- didn't make a whole lot of sense. Paul admittedly said that he was unimpressive. He admittedly said that he wasn't a very good preacher, which is shocking if you stop and think about, like, who Paul is and the impact that he's had on the world and the, and the church as a whole. But, but in, in the world's eyes, in the Corinthians' eyes, he didn't seem like all that, all that much. See, their culture valued the exact opposite of that. They valued people who were, that were impressive, people that, that did have money, people that were well-off or successful according to their, own, to their own standards. And this really, you know, this is true for us today, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but it was true for them, and honestly, it's been true since the beginning. Like, we have our idea of what, what success and leadership should look like. Think about when Israel was looking around, and all the other nations had kings. And they're like, we want a king. That's going to make us great. We want somebody in power. And so who do they pick? They pick Saul. Now that, would not, that was not God's first pick. But why did they pick Saul? Because he had all that. He appeared to be well off. He appeared to have all the things. He appeared to be this great leader because he had this great stature. And he had accumulated things. And you know when God... When God replaced Saul, who did he pick? He picked David, who was the exact opposite of, of Saul, who was unimpressive. And, and so there's this, there's this paradox in what we see even, even in the leadership in the church. And this is, what Paul, this is what Paul understood. And what he's saying and what he's getting at here you know, leading up to this point is uh, that Christian leadership isn't about status. It isn't about self-promotion. It's about something completely different. What does he say in chapter 4, verse 5? He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not proclaiming ourselves. It's not self-promotion. It's not status. We don't uh, proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. All right? So before we dive off into... Uh, dive off into our text this morning. Let's, let's get the, the big paradox out of the way. Okay, the most significant paradox in history is the paradox of the cross. Now think about this with me because this is important before we begin our discussion. Think about Christ's exaltation as king. How did that come? And, this, and, and again, it seems to contradict itself if you stop and think about it. How did Christ's exaltation as king come? It came through his suffering and his death. Does that make sense? I mean, the reason why, the, 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 the way in which his exaltation as king came, it came through his death and his suffering. And of course, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He defeated, he defeated death. But the point is, is that it's, there's this great paradox that, that the God of the universe, he, he put on flesh and then he willingly laid down his life, he had, he has and had all the power in the world. When Peter chops off the soldier's ear, what does he say? I could call on a legion of angels and wipe them all out. But he doesn't. He, he selflessly lays down his life. And then he rose from the dead. All right. Let me pray and we'll, we'll dive into our text this morning. God, we're so grateful for your word. We thank you. Um, God, thank you that we're, we're able to peer into your word and to, to hear from you. And that's our, 
that's our desire as we gather here this morning, God. We want to worship you and we want to hear from you. So I pray that it would be your voice that we hear, that you would, that you would open our eyes to see the things that we can't see with human eyes, to hear the things that we can't hear with human ears, that you would do a work in us that which only you can do, that we wouldn't leave here today and be able to explain the change in us because the change comes from you. And so we just want to humbly come before you, your word this morning, and to walk in greater obedience in light of what you show us. And so that's our posture as we, as we open up your word this morning. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, Tony finished up at the end of September. He went through verse 6 of, of chapter 4. Um, we'll pick up uh, in 7, but I want to I back up to verse 6. So we'll start with verse 6, and we'll read through verse, verse 12. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing worth, uh, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, pers- uh, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may, be, may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Okay, so I want to I wanna get some context before we really unpack everything that's going on. We need to understand that the world uh, in Corinth is not... It's, it's really not all that different from the world in which we live in today. That um, the world in which we live in today, that we, we live in a world that praises and celebrates power. Okay, would you agree with that? That, that we, we live in a world that praises and celebrates power and oftentimes looks down on weaknesses. Okay, and so uh, think, about, think about just our, our world today. The greatest nations in the world are the most what? powerful nations. They're the wealthiest nations. They're the nations with the biggest military. And if you seem to, you come to the conclusion that they're not the most powerful, the greatest nation, then what they do is they'll flex their military to try and gain some some influence and right, some respect. And so we we see that uh, today. Think about, think about our culture. We live in a culture that that elevates people who have power. People who have power are, are elevated. They're, they're esteemed. They're held to a higher degree. And so uh, people who have power, people who have money, people who hold um, important positions or important titles, people who are really gifted at doing certain things. I was thinking about how, um, how athletes, professional athletes, like they're elevated in our culture because of because of a gift that they have or maybe they're somebody who's really good at singing and so but but what happens is is they're given a position of power and influence that has a great impact on our on our culture and so we'll follow them on twitter we'll follow them on instagram we'll follow them in all these places because we want to know what they have to say because they're in a place of of power think about how um 
I, I don't know if you went and saw, uh, saw the sequel to Top Gun this summer, which I did. And, uh, and so, you know, in that, in that movie, it, so it came out in the 80s, and really it was, you know, it's been decades since that movie came out, but it's also been decades when, when you know, when Maverick shows up. I mean, they really, it's been decades since we, we see him. So he's still a captain. He's still a captain in the military. You remember Iceman, uh, who came in at the same time as him. They were doing the same thing, but now he's an admiral. And, and, and if you remember, everybody in the movie is looking down on Maverick because he's still a captain. Like, you're a loser. Why haven't you progressed and moved up the ladder like we think you should? Why haven't you done? Like, why aren't you in a position of authority, a position of power, in a position like you're just content. And, we, and, we, and even, I don't know if you saw the movie, you're even thinking like, Man, he's still just a he's still just a captive. Like is that and he makes a statement. He said it, it isn't what you are, it's who you are. See, here's the thing in our culture. We like things that are moving up and to the right. What we like the stock market moving up and to the right. We like the economy moving up and to the right. We like our careers moving up and to the right. We like other people's careers moving up and to the right. We like our ministries moving up and to the right. And when they're not, when we see these weaknesses and we think, okay, well, something's, something's wrong. And people, just in general, people in the culture. Now, we'll get to us in a minute. These are just people. This isn't, we're not talking about us, okay? We're just talking about, just talking about people. But people pursue lives and careers that will earn them the most money, that will gain them the most respect, that will allow them to achieve and, and have the most things to the things that will make them appear most successful to the world around. And then, even if they aren't successful, we live in a world with social media. Now, this isn't a shot. At, so I told first service, I said, look, I'm, this is not a you need to delete all your social media plug that's not what I'm about to say but I do want to talk about the influence and I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse either we've talked about this before but it is important in the discussion we're having today that that social media impacts our culture and so we live in a world if you're not successful then you can at least present yourself as being successful you can you can give to the world a version of you whether it's accurate or not you can create whatever version of you you want to you want to present to the world around you and so it can appear as though you have a perfect life and you have these perfect families and kids are perfect and vacations are perfect, and, right? And, and then we live in a world where, um, where we have all these filters. And so, you know, when we take pictures, we can make the pictures seem even better than what, what they really are. And, uh, and I know how, uh, believe me, I know how women are. I always think whenever I see a great picture, I always think, I wonder how many pictures had to be taken. I don't, lady, I, like I, I tell my wife this all the time. She thinks I hate taking pictures. I don't hate taking pictures. I hate taking a hundred pictures of the same thing because they're not up to your standard, right? Like that's what I hate. Like let's take a picture and be done. A couple years ago at Victory Weekend, I, I had the students put their phones up and I gave them disposable cameras. They're like, what do we do with this? I'm like, take pictures. They're like, well, how do we know if it's good or not? You'll find out when we get them developed. 
How do you think we survived back in the day? You know what I mean? But it's just like, but the idea of that, because we got to take a picture and then we got to, no, we got to take 10 pictures. Then we got to look and then we realize, oh no, none of those are good. And then we got to take 10 more pictures and 10, you see what I'm saying? It's just, so what happens is, is by the time you make it to social media, this is nowhere near a true reflection of what's really going on in people's lives. Agreed? Can we agree with that? And so what it's done is it's had this impact on us. And I'm not saying... You know, and again, we, 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 we filter what we put through social media too. We, you know, we, we always post our best moments. We post our promotions and our new cars and our new houses and our vacations and our, right? And all these things. And, and I just want you to know, their kids are screaming and crying on the floor the same way your kids are screaming and crying on the floor. So we, but we have this version. And I'm not saying it's wrong to post those things or you should not be on social media and you should like you shouldn't post the victories in your life i'm not saying that what i am saying is is that what's doing something it's silently communicating look at me look at this image look at my success look at this look at this perfect life that i have and then what about us do we do we define and pursue success the same way that the world does do we tend to hide our weaknesses? Do we, do we hide our losses so that we'll gain more respect or influence from the people around us? Do we go out of our way to share our victories? victories? And we should. Like, there's nothing wrong with sharing victories. But do we go out of our way to share in our victories and our strength and wear them as badges and hide our weaknesses and losses? Do we, do we parade our kids' achievements around so that everybody can see or do we, do we live in a world where we're constantly comparing our kids to some version of somebody else's kids? And that's what I'm saying. Like, we have this idea, this version of these families, this version of these people, this version of these children. It's not even a true, like it doesn't really reveal what's really going on. And so we're trying to, to live up and want our kids to live up to some version that, that the world has has put out this, and so it's it's point. It's just this constant battle of chasing, 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 chasing. And we work really, really hard to present ourselves as having it all together, because that's what everybody else is doing. And so, if we do something different, then that's weakness. And weakness isn't seen in our culture as being something that we should. And so, we present ourselves as having it all together. Our families having it all together. Like we're in control and we're living our best life now. We wear a life is good t-shirt and we just go on and cruise on with our life. Here's the point. Here's the point. The point is this kind of life bears no comparison to the power of God displayed through weakness. This, this image that, that the world is projecting that maybe we get caught up in, it does not compare. There's no comparison to that kind of life and, and a life that allows the power of God to be displayed through weakness. Here's our second uh, paradox. And honestly, I think it's probably one of the most astounding paradoxes is that powerful preaching in pitiful pots. I told, uh, sometimes when I'm preaching up here, uh, the more I preach, the more you'll probably hear me say this. Uh, sometimes I say words are hard because sometimes my mouth gets moving faster than my mind. I'm slow. And uh, we're talking about weaknesses. I'm just being honest. And so sometimes my mouth gets moving faster than, uh, than my mind. And uh, that one was hard to say in first service. Just so you know, powerful preaching in pitiful pots. We're just going to say that five times fast and see how we do. 
But, but listen to what, what Paul says in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So here's, here's our point. The less these frail and fragile vessels attract people to themselves, the more they display the glory of God. The more they display the glory of God. And so when we, when, when we, the less we attract people to ourselves, the more we display the glory of God. So when he says here, jars of clay, or if you have the New King James, it may say earthen vessels. And so when he's talking about jars of clay or earthen vessels, what is he talking about? He's talking about our physical body. Okay, so he's talking about our body. And when he says treasure, what is he talking about? He's talking about God himself. That he's the treasure. That his message of the goodness of God and the gospel is, is the treasure that we have been given. And so God has chosen to reveal this treasure through us. And so in verse 6, what's he say? He says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. The, the God of the universe, the, stop, listen, the God of the universe has taken up residence inside the heart and the life of every single believer. That is shocking. And so that's what he's saying. Like The most unbelievable treasure that you could ever imagine is in this pitiful pot of clay. Shocking. The, the truth is, is we oftentimes try to present ourselves as being something different, having a different image than this jar of clay. And Paul is reminding us, hey, exactly what we are. We shouldn't try to be something else. We need to embrace who we really are. And, I, you know, I think, man, I think how God could, have, God could have displayed this treasure any way he wanted. And he does. He displays it in creation. He displays it in all sorts of ways. But I just think about how he's chosen to take this message to the world. And I'm like, God can do anything. There's nothing he can't do. In this moment... He could speak from heaven and the entire world would hear in their language, Jesus Christ is king, all bow to him, and it would be done. But he doesn't do that. He could, he could give us visions and dreams, and, and, and maybe he does. He could have, yesterday when it's storming, he could have written it in the sky with lightning bolts. He can do anything. And yet he chooses to use broken jars of clay and I think why 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 us why me I don't know about you but there's a lot of times that I don't even feel like a jar of clay I feel like a lump of clay that doesn't really have a whole lot to offer to anybody and I'm not just saying that to I'm being honest like there are times where I just feel like man I don't have anything I don't have anything and 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 so think about the the churches Think about, now again, these are other churches. These, th this is not our church. There's no way possible that anything that I'm about to say could actually take place within the walls of this church and the people of this church. That's, that's out of the question. We're talking about other people, other churches. Okay, let's just get that get out there. All right, here, here's what oftentimes happens in churches. Oftentimes people work really, really hard to impress each other. We polish up our images we polish up our performances. We, we, I mean, they, sorry. <laughs> we present ourselves as knowing more than we actually do. This is a big one. We, we present ourselves um, 
is knowing what's going on within the church. And so we, we present ourselves in a way that's like, because we think knowledge is what? Knowledge is power. And so we know what's going on in the church. We know what's going on in so-and-so's life. We know what's going on over here. We know, and, and so what happens is, is, is we present ourselves as, as having this, uh, as knowing more than we do, but also about what's going on within, within the church. Oftentimes people will speak up in community groups simply to be, to be heard or be acknowledged for their knowledge and wisdom that they can add to the conversation. We downplay or ignore our flaws. We, we patch the cracks on our finish. We place our most, most treasured pots on display for all to see just how wonderful we are. And the point is this. Failing to actually reveal the invaluable treasure inside, that's what happens when we, when we do this, when we elevate it. We, we fail to actually reveal the invaluable treasure inside. We must never, and this is what Paul's saying, we, we must never shine the spotlight on ourselves. And it is dangerous when Christians make the vessel more important than the treasure or the image of the vessel more important than the treasure. And we spend more time fabricating our image than we do presenting the treasure in us to the world. So what's most important is that Christ is seen and that Christ gets the glory. In, uh, in John uh, chapter 3, there's, there's a passage where um, John the Baptist is, um, it's just after he's baptized Jesus. And I want you to think about something. Uh, John the Baptist, before Jesus shows up on scene, he is a rock star. I mean, you think about it. I mean, people are coming from all over. They're coming to, to see him, to hear what he has to say. He's baptizing all kinds of people. He's, it's like created such a wave and such a buzz that the religious leaders are coming out. They want to know what's going on out in the wilderness. What's going on with this John the Baptist guy? And then Jesus shows up on scene, and John's like, hey, behold the Lamb of God. He baptizes him, and then what happens? People quit following John, and they start following who? Jesus. And some of his disciples are like, hey, we got a problem. Like people are leaving and they're going to follow Jesus. And then this is what John says. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's not about him. He's saying it's not about me. It's about, it's about Christ. And he's saying that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Not to us. Let's continue on. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So here's, uh, here's what's going on. It, Paul's like, he's revealing to us what he, what he felt. The things that he experienced. This isn't something he's saying, hey, this is about somebody else. And if we're honest, now nobody's posting that on their Facebook page. But if we're honest, if we were really to just lay before the world what's really, what really goes on in us, like, this is how we often feel. Like, we've all been right here. I don't know about you, but these are some, some adjectives with some powerful images. He says afflicted. It gives this image of a, of a long trial. This, it's almost like this pressure that's just squeezing the life out of you. And he's like... Yeah, but it won't crush you. And then he gives this image of being perplexed. He's, it's like and these seasons of where we're, we're at a loss. 
unable to explain or understand what in the world is going on either in me or around me, maybe disoriented by our problems or tragedies or challenges, and completely at our wit's end, but not our hope's end. He says persecuted. It's this picture of being beaten up, whether verbally, physically. Paul experienced it all, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but we're not left undefended or destroyed because God will fight for us. He says, struck down. Knocked down, but not out. Knocked down, but not out. And here's, here, after reading all of these, this is, this is the conclusion I came to. Yes, we're going to experience these things. But they will not be the end of us. They will not be the end of us. And here's the thing. The God of the universe, see... We're going to experience these things. Everybody experiences these things in life. Every, every single person, that, that, because we live in a broken world. We're surrounded by broken people. We're broken. And so we're going to do things to ourselves, and other people are going to do things to us. And we live in a world that's been cursed by sin. And so we're all going to experience these things. But Paul's saying, hey, you're going to experience these things because you're following Jesus. Because of your faith, you're going to experience these things. And they're going to be hard, and they're going to be difficult but they're not going to be the end of you. And next week we'll pick up and start talking about the fact that whatever we experience, it is simply temporary. Even if it is the end of us in this life, it is temporary. There's something greater that awaits for us. And so we'll unpack that, we'll unpack that next week. But we've got to just stop and realize that, hey, these things won't be the end of us. And so I think we do one of two things whenever we find ourselves in these seasons and these situations. I think one... We either magnify the problem. We spend all our time just focusing on what's wrong. We are consumed with, we just want it to go away. We want it to be gone. We, we're, we, don't, want, we don't like to suffer. I, I don't, I mean, who likes to suffer? He's like, sign me up for that. So we, or, so we, we tend to focus on this thing and we magnify it in our lives. Instead of magnifying the treasure, and that's what God has called us to. He's called us to magnify the treasure, not the, not the problems. And we get to magnify Jesus through our problems. And Christ is never more visible than when others can find no explanation for the hope and endurance that we experience through trials. Like people, people notice that. And that the God of the universe has promised to be with us in the midst. Like his light has shone into our hearts. We will not face those things alone. And God's inner work is sustaining us. And there's nothing more visible when others can find no explanation for that. And yet we do our best to hide it oftentimes. We're good. I'm good. You know, I see, uh, and if you have this shirt, this is not a shout out. This is, this is just, a, just a, a, an observation. But uh, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. But that's just true. Like we, we do that. And so we come in and we're like, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And we just move on. Because we, uh, we can't actually show weakness. We can't. But here's the truth. And this is what we're seeing in this passage is that when clay pots are worn, chipped, and cracked, the glorious treasure can then shine through right and so this power this this is what paul is talking about this is powerful preaching in pitiful pots this is the paradox of the christian life of a crucified of a crucified life 
This is, this is what we're talking about. This is, this is what happens when authentic ministry takes place in the lives of God's people. All right, let's pick up in verse, in verse 10. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now he's not talking about, when he's talking about death here, he's not talking about literal death. What he's talking about is he's talking about the, cra- uh, the cracking of our, of our pots. These, these broken and fragile jars of, of clay. He's talking about uh, jars that have been afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. The things that come through, come through authentic ministry. And so when we die to self, Jesus lives in us. When we lose, he wins. When we are weak, he is strong. When we are last, he is first. When we are dependent, he is dependable. These are the things that are true. And so when our weaknesses show, people realize that it's not the pot that's significant, but God's power within that matters most. And that's what we see. When our weaknesses show, when we allow our weaknesses to show, those those are the things that take place. And so he continues in verse 12. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. What is he talking about? Death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is reminding the Corinthians He's he's reminding them of the marks of suffering that he had experienced. He's reminding them of the sacrifices that he had made on their behalf. In his life personally, in his fellow workers, in the workers that are there, like he's and what he's saying is is through this, through this death, through the the pain and the suffering and the cracks and the chips and the self-surrender and the self-sacrifice, what it did was it challenged you and it changed you. It challenged them and it changed them. Like it, it had a profound impact on the people there in Corinth. Corinth, And so here's the, the reality is through their suffering, it brought life to others. Stop and think about that. Through their suffering, it brought life to others. When others see death in us, what it does is it brings life. It changes them. And honestly, it does a work in us. And so here's the here, we, need to, we need to have a shift in our thinking. We need to think differently about the things that we hate. It needs to be a paradigm shift. And we need to begin to embrace the gift of our limp. There's, there's tons of things that we would change about ourselves if we could, if we're honest. There's tons of things that we would change. Things that we, that we hide. Filters that we put on. There's, there's things that, look, this... This is, Paul felt the same way. We're, I want to read you a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But well, he's talking about this thorn in his flesh. This thing, we don't know what it is, but there's something in his life that's caused great suffering. There's something in his life that he, wish, he wishes that it wasn't there. There's something that if he could, he would have changed it. How do we know that? Because this is what he said. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, this is nothing new. This is what we're talking about. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the thing. 
Paul isn't the only one with, uh, that God gave this gift of a handicap. That's what he says here. He, now, he's saying, like, if I could have, I would have changed it. But, man, I'm embracing it because it actually turned out to be, it actually turned out to be something, something good. When I was, uh, I don't know if you, so it was uh, probably about a month ago, I was, uh, I was having a conversation with a couple guys before service on a Wednesday night. And uh, so he says, man, what happened to your arm? And uh, he's like, and so we're having this conversation, and maybe some of you in the room, you're like, well, I didn't notice anything was wrong with your arm either. Or maybe you did, and you're like, I don't know what, I don't want to ask, but I don't know, you know what I mean? And so they just asked. He had never noticed, and so we had talked many, many times. He's been here for a couple years, and so he just realized that um, that something was wrong with my arm. So something's wrong with my arm. My arm's not like yours, okay? So uh, when I was a kid, um, kids can be brutal, Right? Kids can be brutal, and they just say, sometimes they say the, uh, the most harsh things. And so when I grew up in the 80s, and uh, that was back when Freddy Krueger was a thing, and so the kids used to call me Freddy. And uh, now at the time, you know, I acted like it didn't bother me, but it bothered me. If you've ever seen Freddy Krueger, it would bother you as a kid, right? And so I, uh, I can remember thinking, and I would say, um, you know, well, God made me this way, and uh, and then I would lay down at night and I would think, God, why did you make me this way? It, you know what I mean? Like I would say God made me this way, but deep down, like I just, why can't I look like everybody else? Why can't I be like everybody else? Why do I have to have this thing that, that, makes, me, that makes me different? And it was about, I can't remember, it was about eight or ten years ago. We were, uh, our church had sent a team down to Belize and we were doing some mission work down in Belize. And we got down there and it was our first trip down there. And uh, we get down there and... The boys there, we were working with a, with a uh, school for boys down there, and they were fascinated with my arm for whatever reason. I, I mean, I can't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but they were fascinated. And uh, so Pastor Rod, who's, um, who's with Harbor City now, he's with our church plant in Harbor City, he tells the boys that, um, that I saved 39 squirrels from a burning building. Now, if some of you, you're like, well, what did happen to your arm? You know what I mean? And, and, and oftentimes, I, like I've got all kind of things that I tell people, like all kind of things. Now, 39 squirrels, that was a first. Now, I have since used it, but that was a first. I mean, I tell people all, all the time, I tell them different things. So one of my favorite things to tell people now is like if they ask, you know, I'll put my hand on their shoulder, I'll reach out and shake their hand, and I'll say, um, they're not really sure what's wrong. They just know it's highly contagious. So that's one of my... That's one, that's one of my favorites right now. Um, so, uh, but, and, and there's, some of you, you, you think one thing, I was a fireman for a long time, and so you just automatically assume that I was a burn. Some of you, if I told you the truth and you didn't believe it, I told you something else and never told you anything different. You didn't want to believe the truth. The truth is boring, okay? I, I almost didn't tell the first service what, what happened. It's a birthmark, Okay. People are like, that's boring. You're making it up. Okay, I can tell you another story. Just ask me after service, okay? <laughs> but here's what happened. So, so Pastor Rod goes on and tells his kid, 39 squirrels. And I'm like, yes, in America we love squirrels. You know, they, they can't figure it out. They're like, what is going on? And, uh, and so, but here's what happened. Uh, I can remember all those years, all those hateful things that kids said, all the, the being made fun of, and all the. And in that moment, what happened is, is, for some reason, God chose to use my arm to let the walls down in the lives of these kids. Like the wall was up for all the other guys on our team. 
Like they weren't letting them in. Like they weren't. And what God did was he used something as simple as my arm to let the walls down and let me just walk straight into a situation and have influence in these kids' lives in a way that nobody else on the team could. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, I learned a lot of things on that trip, but one thing I learned is this right here, how God uses weaknesses. He is, he is strong in our weaknesses and how God uses the things. There's so many things in our lives. If we're honest, we would change today if we could. Over the last couple of weeks, as I'm wrestling through this text and I'm thinking, man, there's so many things about myself. If I could, I would have changed. Like, I, I am a complete introvert. Like, I, I, it is work for me to, I wish that I was more outgoing. I, I, I have to work at gaining insight into things. This is just me being vulnerable and transparent with you guys, okay? So here, here it is. I'm laying it out before you. Like, so oftentimes, I see so many people around me, like, it's so easy for them to gain insight, to have an opinion. Like sometimes, I, like I've got a, I, I like to refer to it as marinate. I got to marinate. I got to think this through. Sometimes you'll come and you'll ask me for, you, you'll have, students have done this time and time again. It, this will happen at, at some point in time. You'll come to me and you'll tell me about something. And I'll be like, hey, let me, let me process that. Let me think about that. I wish I had an answer for you right there, and I wish I could change that. I wish I could, I wish there were things about me. I see these things as false, but this is the thing that God just impressed upon me this week. Those things are a gift because you know what I have to do? I have to get on my face before God. I have to declare my dependence upon Him. And in those moments, He's able to show up and show me the things that I can't see through human wisdom and understanding. And so these things that I wish that I could change about me, they are gifts from God because what it does is it causes me to press deeply into the heart of God. And he's the one who shows up and shows out. And so we got to quit wanting to change our weaknesses and allow God to use them in our life for what they really are intended to do and to be. I'm with you. There's tons of things I wish I could change about myself. God made me the way he made me for a reason. He made you the way he made you for a reason. The very things, your weaknesses, the things and the flaws and the things you wish you could change are the very things that God wants to use to do a work in you and to take his goodness and his glory and his treasure to the world around us. That is the truth. And so it is a complete paradigm shift that we begin to see. We begin to, we begin to walk with a limp, right? We begin to embrace the gift of our limp. And so what about you? Sooner or later, every single one of us, we, we encounter something that causes us to fall to our knees. Something in us. And I don't know what it is for you. Is it, is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it insecurity? Is it loneliness? Is it a physical disability? A chronic sickness? A wayward child, a child with disability, an addiction, scars from abuse, anger, hate, resentment, things that you've done, things that have been done to you. Weakness is meant to drive us to seek Him and remind us of our need. For Savior. That's what it's intended to be. And he says in verse 12, so death is at work in us. Not physical death, but all of these weaknesses and things that we 
that we want to avoid. Because that's what the world teaches. The world teaches and sees weaknesses as failure. It sees weaknesses as a liability. Something that should be avoided at any cost. And God sees it as a gift for you and for the world around you. Hidden within you are these gifts for you and for the world. So let's quit pretending like we have it all together. Because when we do that, we miss out on what God has for us. I think the, the perfect illustration of this is um, perfect illustration of this is the art of it's called Kintsugi. Words are hard. I actually got that one right. Kintsugi, but this was developed in Japan and in the, in the 14th century. And what, what they would do is they would take these broken pieces of, of pottery and they would, they would then take the, they would lacquer this gold powder and they would, um, they would take this gold powder and they would use it to glue and put these, these pieces of pottery back together. And what it does is it, it, emphasizes, the, it emphasizes the broken pieces. And rather than, than hiding or disguising the broken pieces, what it does is it illuminates them. And so the, the pieces of pottery that would typically be thrown out, they're not. They're, they're put back together. And, and it, the tension is drawn to the cracks. They see the beauty and the flawed and the damage to the imperfect. They appreciate the brokenness. And once reassembled, here's the crazy thing, it's considered more beautiful than it originally was. It's more precious. The, the fault lines are lined with precious gold. And the object is considered more valuable, not less. More valuable. And we spend so much of our life trying to hide the cracks. We spend so much of our life trying to, to present ourselves in a certain way. And so, but like, what do we, what do, we do as we, as we finish things out? Like, what do we do? I mean, will people no longer trust me if they see, if I'm, if I'm vulnerable? If they see the vulnerability, will they still trust me? Is it safe? Will, will the church reject this kind of weakness? Will the church reject this kind of weakness coming from me? What if my life's not so perfect? What if I don't have the perfect family? Is it scary? Newsflash, I don't have the perfect life and I don't have the perfect family but I love my family and I love the life that God has has given me in Christ and I'm not saying that what we're going to do is we're going to end service by I'm going to grab a microphone and everybody's going to come up here and just air all your dirty laundry talk about all the failures in your life and all the horrible things that you've done that's not what I'm that's not what we're talking about doing here i'm not saying when you leave here you need to change your approach on social media and just air all your darkest secrets in your life and that's not what we're that's not what we're talking about humiliation is not god's goal here it's humility that's what god wants it's humility and this is what humility well this is what humility isn't humility is not thinking less of ourselves but thinking about ourselves less and that's what he's saying. Don't shine the spotlight on you. Don't, don't try to draw people to you. What we want to do is we want to draw people to, to Christ. 
And when we pretend that we have it all together, we're, we're elevating ourselves and we leave no room for God to do a work in us or through us, for the treasure to shine through us when we pretend like we have it all together. And so here's just a few questions. These are on the back of your listening guide. You can go home and sort through them with your family. You can sort through them with your small group later on, your friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's some things just for us to think about as we close out our time. How bright does your light shine before others? Like, are you, are you allowing the light of Christ to shine in and through you in your family, in your workplace, in your school, on your teams, in your neighborhood, among your friends? Do you avoid spiritual topics because of your apparent inadequacies or your weaknesses? Because you think, if, if I have a conversation with people that goes below the surface, then they're going to realize that I really don't have it all figured out. That maybe, maybe I've got these weaknesses or these, these things. Have you let the, the cracks and the chips and the scratches on your jar distract you from keeping your focus on the treasure inside? So oftentimes we're focused on the wrong thing. And what those things are meant to do is to drive us to the heart and to the face and the feet of Jesus. And instead what we do is we spend all our time consumed with what we think should be different in our lives instead of focusing on the one who has the ability to change everything. Nobody's perfect. But it's through imperfection that Christ is most clearly seen. And so how can your imperfections and your scars and challenges be used to point to Christ's grace, mercy, and power? Here's our last point. Sums everything up. Your life's identity isn't found in what you do or how much you make. But in how you do it and what you make much of. Here's what I would say. Take the lid off the jar. Take the lid off the jar. Let the light of the glory of God shine out and through the cracks of your broken life. It's a beautiful thing. And that's how God intends it to be. And our neediness is not something um, that needs to be healed or overcome but yet something that needs to be embraced. It's the source of our greatest strength. I'm going to say that one more time and I'm going to pray. Our neediness is not something that needs to be overcome. We just need to get past. But when we embrace it, we learn to walk with our limp instead of pretend like we don't have one. It's the source of our greatest strength.